All right. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us tonight here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Uh, my name is Dave Everett. This is my wife, Sherry. We're going to be continuing our Bible study tonight on the true nature of God. Uh, we'll be in chapter 5 again tonight, uh, which is titled God's Grace for the Believer. We're almost done with the chapter. We're in the section heading, How to Be Blessed by God. Uh, I know there's a couple different formats of the book. Uh, well, I'm on page 95. I don't know if your book has <coughs> the same page number system. At one point, Andrew had this uh, re-published. Uh, I, I don't know what, what you want to call it, but uh, it's been repaged a little bit. So anyway, we're under chapter 5, under the section heading, How to Be Blessed by God. So we're picking up mid-chapter. And uh, anyway, um, what do I want to say here? Um, Again, uh, we we are <coughs> excuse me. All of our Bible studies are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. You can also support our ministry through that means. We also have them archived on our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship. You know, since we've been doing these Bible studies, especially this one and our Wednesday, our current Wednesday night Bible study, we've had over uh, twenty five hundred followers just following on these Bible studies. So for us, the Church Society, that's phenomenal. And so we're very excited about that. So and these, these Bible studies are reaching all over the world. Uh, Sunday night we had some people from Pakistan. So uh, we've had people from India. We've had people from Af all kinds of African countries. Uh, uh, I think even Malaysia or Philippines at some point in time. Uh, so even down south in Argentina area, um, in different countries. So these are reaching all over the world. Costa Rica, uh, we get that quite frequently as well. So. Anyway, we're just reaching all over the world with these, and uh, it's just about getting the gospel out. So we're talking about the true nature of God, specifically in this aspect. We've been talking about the grace of, for the believer, and tonight we're going to be talking about how to be blessed by God, and, and we, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully go forward from that. So anyway, Sherry will narrate for us, and we're going to share our book tonight, and then, uh, and then uh, uh, we'll talk about it. So. I was raised in a Christian home and born again at the age of eight, the very first time I was convicted over sin. Now that wasn't the very first time I sinned, but it was the very first time I felt God convict me of sin. At eight years of age, I knew I had transgressed against God and I had done it deliberately. God really spoke to me about it and I repented, confessed Jesus as my Lord, and was genuinely converted. In the third grade, I was made fun of for being a Christian. I wasn't doing anything bad, but I changed so much that people could tell a difference in me. A genuine conversion took place in me. Because I grew up in a Baptist church, my parents knew the Lord, but I wasn't really exposed to the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of God. Instead, I was hammered with, you have to live a holy life, you have to do this, and God won't bless you until you do. My whole life became one of performing, trying to earn the blessings of God. That's torment. And if you relate to what I'm saying, you know it's torment to try to perform good enough to earn God's favor. Because of that, I've never said a cuss word in all my life. I have never taken a drink of liquor in all my life. I have never smoked a cigarette. I have never done most of what people say is wrong. Yet until I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I was headed to hell just the same as anybody else. Who wants to be the best sinner who ever went to hell? I might have been better than most, 
but I needed a savior just the same as anybody else. We may be doing pretty well. We may be doing better than we ever have, but we aren't perfect yet. So we can't try to approach God on the basis of what we've done. That's the reason Satan has been defeating us because we haven't been standing strong in Christ on the basis of what he has done for us. Instead, we've been saying, God, look what I've done. Isn't it enough? And Satan will say, no, it's not enough. You're a sorry old thing. You haven't done this, then you haven't done that. So we are, we're out there trying to earn the blessings of God through our performance. That's not right. Deuteronomy 28, 15 to 68 talks about all the curses that will come upon us if we don't perform 100% of all the commandments, not just 99%, but all of them. We know these curses aren't going to come upon believers because Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. When the law says that God is going to put the blight, mildew, boils, tumors, and all of these things on disobedient people, remember that Christians are redeemed from that. I know God's not putting those things on me because I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. Most Christians can accept they are redeemed from the curses, but even spirit-filled Christians are generally not bold enough to demand the blessings listed in Deuteronomy 28, 1-14. The same Christians who accept that God is not going to put the devil's sickness on them hesitate to claim God's blessings. Why? because they know in their hearts that they haven't fulfilled Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2, which say that all the blessings are conditional, based upon obeying all the commandments. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2. People have interpreted this passage to mean, do these things and God's blessings will follow. But God's purpose was not for us to keep all the commandments and earn his blessings, but rather to show us that we didn't have a chance of keeping all the commandments of God. The commandments of God are more than just the Ten Commandments. Do you know that as New Testament saints, we are priests unto God? Revelation 1.6 Leviticus 22 lists the qualifications for a priest. Did you know that Old Testament priests could not have a mole anywhere on their bodies? Did you know they couldn't have flat or bent noses or dimness of eyesight? So if you wear glasses or have any blemishes on your body, you aren't qualified to be a priest. Well, why did God say those things? Does he hate people with flat or bent noses or people with moles on their bodies? No, God doesn't hate them. God loves them. But if we're going to trust in our own perfection in order to approach God, he will show us what perfection is. God didn't create Adam and Eve with moles on their bodies. That is something that happened after the fall. God didn't create Adam and Eve with bent, broken, or flat noses. He didn't create them with bad eyesight. He made them perfect. And if we aren't perfect, then we aren't qualified to be priests. 
And if we're trying to combine the two covenants, we wouldn't even qualify for salvation. God didn't tell us about the moles so that everybody would go to a doctor to have their moles removed, but rather so we would quit trusting in ourselves and our own perfection for our salvation. He didn't tell us in Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2, that we have to observe diligently to do all of these things so that we would spend the rest of our lives trying to be perfect. As I said before, God gave the commandments to demonstrate our need for a perfect Savior. Okay, so again, uh, thank you for joining us tonight. We're continuing our Bible study on the true nature of God by Andrew Womack. We're talking about the grace for the believer, specifically talking about uh, how to be blessed. And, you know, uh, I, I like what Andrew was saying here, but uh, in short, we're not blessed because of what we do. We are blessed because of who we are. We're a child of God. We, the Bible says we're blessed and not cursed. We are, it says in Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse, uh, verse 14, I believe it is, that we are redeemed from the curse of the law. All the blessings of God are, uh, are in Christ, and we are in Christ. We were talking a little bit about that this morning, that we're in Christ. We're, we're baptized. We are immersed into him. And the blessings are of, uh, of you know, um, I think there's a verse I want to go to real quick. Uh, in Galatians chapter 3, I think it is. Let me just look it up here real quick. Uh, it won't take me long. But in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, I believe it says, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Uh, there's a lot of blessings that came on Abraham. I mean, you go back to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 15, that, you know, he, he's blessed to bless all the families of the earth. And actually, if you go there, keep your finger where I was at, Galatians 3.29, if and then uh, go with me to, I think it's Genesis uh, uh, 12. Yeah. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just highlighting one promise, and there's all, make all kinds of blessings. Yeah, Genesis 12, um, we'll start with verse uh, 2. Uh, I'm picking up mid-thought. And God's telling Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who blessed you, and I will curse those him who also who, who cursed you. And if you and, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We should be, you know, if that that was a blessing, that was a promise and a covenant made to Abraham. And it says here in Galatians that if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You know, there's all kinds of promises that were made to to Abraham, and very specific promises. But if we're Christ, then we're heirs according to the promise. And so uh, the promises made to Abraham are our promises too. And, and there's some other blessings and promises of God. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.21 that all the promises of God are yes in him. Amen in him. To the glory of God by us. Some translations end that with through us. All the promises of God are yes and amen. We're blessed. You know, it says in, in Peter that we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God. We're born, we're born again. And we're not born back into Adam, which is a sin nature, which is carnal, which is natural. We're born again of, of incorruptible seed. There's no corruption in the seed of Christ. 
There's no sickness in the seed of Christ. There's no lack. There's no sin. Uh, there's a verse in First John that our, you know, we teach this a little more in depth when we talk about spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit uh, cannot sin. <laughs> it, it says in First John, I think it's chapter two or chapter three. You know, um, and so we're born again. Anyway, I'm going on some side trails here, but we're. How do we get blessed? We just need to believe who we are. We need to know who we are. And when we can know who we are, we're, we're our seed, our, we're already blessed. And we just need to tap into that. We just need to receive it and believe it. And why are we blessed? Are we blessed so we can live our own life? No, we're, it says in Ephesians, we're, we're, we work with even the jobs that we have. We work with our hands so we can bless those in need. We can be with those needs. We're blessed to be a blessing. And, you know, some people think, well, I don't need any more blessings. I got all, all I have to meet my needs and my family. Well, in one sense of the word, that's kind of selfish. All you're considered about is your, you, you and your family. Yes, you need to take care of your family. Paul, Paul talks about those who don't care, care, care of their family, how they're, they're, uh, they're worth in the infidel. You need to take care of your loved ones. And also, you're going to take care of your loved ones more than you're going to take care of some other people. There's a, there's a proper order to that. But if all you can think about is you for no more... In one sense, that's selfish. Uh, we, God wants to bless us to bless others. Uh, so, we, we, uh, however that might be, it's not just about you. At the same point in time, uh, you know, th there's priorities, and that's uh, and, and that's that's important too. I mean, if you're taking care of others and not taking care of your family, that would be wrong. Uh, and so, and I'm not, I don't want to get off off track on some of that right now. But we're blessed. And uh, and we can and we don't need to do something to receive his blessing. He says, and I think in Romans chapter eight, if he who did not uh, um, uh, he who did not um, I, I I can only paraphrase it. If he if Jesus died for us, how much more will he not give us all things? Uh, he, he who did not spare his own son, how much will he not give us all things? And so we're blessed. I mean, it, I mean, being blessed is even an old, is also an Old Testament. Uh, if you read the stories, especially the patriarchs in uh, Genesis, in the book of Genesis, it's, it, there's a verse that says that, that Abraham was blessed or, or rich. It says that that uh, Isaac, his son, was very rich, and then it says that uh, Jacob, his grandson, was extremely rich, and then his great great grandson uh, Pharaoh. I mean. Uh, Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt. It's not just, when we're talking about blessing, we're not just talking about money, but we're also not excluding that either. We're not serving money. Money, uh, money should be, in one sense, serving us so we can minister to other people. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't have time to bring all of that out right now, but we're blessed. Well, and there are different kinds of blessings. I mean, Deuteronomy talked about we're blessed coming in, we're blessed going out. We're blessed uh, in our in our basket. We're blessed in our storehouse. Is blessed. Uh, we're all kinds of blessed. If you're suffering with a, a chronic illness, in one sense, you might be blessed financially, but you're not being blessed. You're not <coughs> you're not experiencing the blessing physically. Uh, maybe you're blessed financially and you're blessed physically, but you got some emotional or or mental issues or uh, or fear or or, or depression. That, you know, it says in Third John, verse 2, that he said, he, 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 um, he, he prays above all things that we be prosper just as our soul prospers. We, we would, we would uh, be in good health and, and prosper as our soul prospers. 
I don't think I'm chopping up that verse, but at the same point in time, you know, God wants us to be blessed all over the place. But we're blessed not because of what we do. We're blessed because we who we are. Let me paint the picture this way. When a, a fruit is on the vine, an apple is on the apple tree, or the grape is on the vine, where's the source of that blessing? Is it the grape itself? Is it the apple itself? Or is it because it's abiding in the vine? If the tree is good, the fruit's going to be good. I can understand you can get a bad apple once in a while, or a worm in the apple, or, whatever, or a pesticide, whatever. But the source of that goodness, the source of that blessing, is not the apple itself, or the grape itself, or the fruit. It's the, the vine, and we're plugged into the vine. We're born to get the seed, the nature, the, the seed, uh, the, the, the root, the, 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 the core is blessed. And we just need to know who we are. Not so we can look boast in ourselves. The Bible talks about that. We're not doing this to boast in ourselves. We're doing this to boast in our God. We have a good, good Father who blesses his kids. And, uh, and he blesses us so we can be a, <coughs> be a blessing, blessing all the families of the earth. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, you have anything you wish to share? Uh, I do. I just need to look it up in my notes. Um... You know, with both Dave and Andrew are talking about us as a Christian being blessed, and and it's and it's um, and it's so so true that it's it's because of who we are in Him. It's not you know a, a pride thing. I belong to God, so I'm blessed. Uh, like the uh, oh, I forget the names, but there was, there's some families that are known for their wealth in American history. And yes, their wealth has been passed down for each generation. And that, that's, that's an earthly prideful thing. But we're talking about the family of God. And in Ephesians 1, which I, I talked to about, I think, last either Wednesday or Sunday, one of my favorite chapters because it talks about who we are in Christ and what we have in him. It starts out with saying that we have all spiritual blessings in God. It talks about our inheritance in, in, in Christ. It talks about being accepted by the beloved. I, I mean, it's God chose us. He adopted us into his family and we are the king's kids. So we are blessed because of who we are. It's Christ in us. It's that, that, that family line, that family uh, genealogy, if you will, because we, we are gods. We, we belong to God. So, yes, we are blessed. Um, but I just real quick wanted to, to go over. There's, there's two words that we talk about, and sometimes we, we gloss over the, the dip, the, the dip. The deep meanings of these words, and one is salvation, which Dave and I quote all the time. If you study out in the Greek, the, the sozo, the solteria, doesn't mean just salvation. It means wholeness and healing and deliverance and prosperity. Salvation doesn't mean I'm going to get to heaven only. It means God has all of this deliverance, healing, prosperity, wholeness, everything that you can need in life in that word 
And when God went, when God, when Dave went through the uh, seven redemptive names of God, when he talked about Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace, he also explained what Shalom means. It doesn't mean just peace. It means well-being, soundness, completeness, welfare, safety, and prosperity. So these two words of who God is and what he's provided for are so rich and fat in their meaning. And it's just a, an example, a sample of what God has for us. God has given us everything for life and godliness through the knowledge of, of Christ. And we as Christians have not realized how much fullness of God that he's given us. And he has given us all of him and that is that is more blessing than blessing if if you get my meaning you know it says in psalm 103 verses 1 through 5 bless the lord of my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name bless the lord of my soul and forget not all of his benefits who forgives all of our iniquity all your iniquities sorry let me say that again who forgives all of your iniquities who heals all of your diseases, who redeemed your life from destruction, who crowns your, your, you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your, your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I mean, I just, every, every aspect of that. We have benefits. Why? Because we are a child of God. You know, uh, uh, if, if, if we had a natural earthly kingdom, if you have, you are a child of the king, you got blessings just because by by inheritance, just by association of being a child, a a, a prince or a princess, uh, or even down the family line, nephews and nieces and whatnot. You're, you're blessed just because you're part of the family, you're part of the royal diet of the royal family. Well, we are not only a part of his family, but we have been redeemed according to Galatians. I mean, Revelation five nine and ten. We've been redeemed by his blood. And he's made us kings and priests. And going back to something Andrew started with, you know, Andrew lived a very moral, godly life. But, and we're all for morality. We're all for godliness. We're all for righteous living. But, and to be honest with you, living morally is not the goal of Christianity. It's one of the benefits. It's, it's one of the, the, the byproducts of it. The goal is a relationship with God. That's the goal. The, if all we have is morality, but no relationship with God, we don't have anything. Like Andrew said, who wants to be the best sinner now? And it's not. And if, if, if you're boasting in your morality instead of boasting in your relationship with God, then in one sense you have magnified your life against Christ. We might not see it that way. But you are boasting in what you have done, and you are not re boasting in what Christ has done for you. The only reason you can be part of God's family that Sherry was talking about is because Christ died for you, and he, uh, he, he and, and Paul talks about this in Romans. He grafted you in to his family. It's like taking a I don't know how to do this properly, but you take you can take a branch off an orange tree properly and, and graft it into an apple tree 
And after a while, that branch is not going to produce oranges. It's going to produce apples because the, the sap, the, 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 what's flowing through the veins of that plant is the apple tree. We've been grafted into Christ. We're born again. We have a new nature. No disrespect to our natural father. But the, uh, my father, my, my, my true father, heavenly father is blessed. And I'm part of his family. I'm part of his kingdom. I'm born of God. And I'm blessed because of that. And I'm blessed not just so I look good. I'm blessed so he looks good. And I can be a blessing to others. <coughs> and there, there, are <coughs> excuse me, there are benefits to being a child of God. Not so we can boast in ourselves. Not just so we can feel good. Nothing wrong with feeling good. But so we can be a blessing. It's hard to be a blessing when we're, we're struggling. And that's not a put down just because we're struggling. That's why he gave us a family so we can minister to one another. Family members should help family members. That's what families do. Uh, we help one another. We, we look out for one another. We, you know, uh, and, and, and such like natural siblings, sometimes we can get on each other's nerves and whatnot, and that's not necessarily so good. But we do, but we forgive one another. We learn to get along. I even taught this, I think, Wednesday night. Just as children, when we went to grade school, we had to learn how to get along. You know, there's, some, there's a poem back in the day. I read everything I needed to learn, I learned in kindergarten. Some of those things we just need to get back to, you know, including taking naps and whatnot. You know, we just need to get back to getting along. You know, if you didn't get along with it, I used to work on the playground with kids. I did that for 10 years. And, you know, a child didn't get along with another child. A lot of times it would go on timeout or some other type of, of, of discipline to teach them to get along, to share, and to forgive one another. And to, it's not all about you. It's about we are a, a, a student body. You know, we, we get along with one another. We respect one another. We, we, we share and, and, and we help one another. And, uh, and whatnot. So, anyway, there's a lot I can go off, but we are blessed because we're his children. We're not cursed. Now, we can do some things that will bring curses on us in a sense. I mean, the Bible does say in Galatians that if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you'll reap corruption. <coughs> you'll reap corruption. It doesn't say you'll reap corruption from God. It says if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you'll reap corruption. We're, we're, we're not, we're, we're born of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, etc. You know, we, we talk a lot about the love and the peace and the joy, but there's goodness, there's kindness, there's gentleness. Those are part of the, and that's not you, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's who we are. And the Bible says, and just actually a few verses before that, in Galatians 5, that if you walk in the Spirit, <coughs> you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what's the secret to controlling your flesh? Walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the secret. That's the, that's the answer. Stop focusing on controlling your You know, maybe you're like, I know I need to get along, but I don't know how. Focus on who you are in Christ. And, uh, uh, and, and, and walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of your flesh. You know, the flesh can be very selfish. You ever get a toddler? Mine, 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 mine. You know, have to, you, we have a new nephew. He has to learn to share. You know? And so uh, we need to learn to 
Yeah, uh, and this is not a lesson about getting along with one another. I don't know how I'm getting off on this subject. So, thank you. Um, but, you know, we're blessed. We're blessed. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, even financially speaking, I'm part of, uh, I know we live in the natural world, but I'm part of God's economy. And there's, there's rules to God's economy. There's tithing, there's giving, there's almsgiving, there's, when I teach about finances, there's three different levels of giving. There's, there's, alms, there's tithes, there's offerings, and there's alms. And, uh, but I'm part of God's kingdom. I'm a steward of His. And uh, we have a Bible study that we've done on financial stewardship. A lot of people don't like talking about that. It kind of hits home with some people. But we're blessed to be a blessing. And really, when we talk about financial stewardship, it's all about trusting God as our source. And uh, that's the key word anyway. And, and and that's something, you know, I'll just tell a personal testimony on me. It's okay. Yeah. A, a personal testimony about myself is for years I would see other Christians being blessed and I was happy for them. But I, I would wonder, okay, when is it my turn? What am I doing wrong? What do I need to do? And just give it a minute. But then, when I started just focusing on a relationship with God, all of a sudden, blessings were coming. And I wasn't seeking after the blessing. I was seeking after the one who gives the blessing. Not so that God could bless me, but just because it was so wonderful having that relationship with God. And then blessings automatically came. And, you know, Dave, Dave uh, talks about those who seek the healing but not the healer or seek the provision but not the 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 provider and you know you you could seek after whatever it is that you need in in life but it's the one who gives these things the one that you have a relationship with that your life will turn around your your blessings will come your your provision your healing if your focus is on him I don't know. Turn purple. Yeah, it's done it before. It'll come okay. up. Okay. So, right. the next... Yeah, go ahead. The next section, benefits of obedience. Uh, Andrew's continuing with this thought that we've been talking about. I do believe there are benefits to obeying God's commands. As often as we can be obedient to God, we will shut a door on Satan every time. If we keep 50% of God's commandments, we will shut the door to Satan 50% of the time, and that is a good thing. The less place we give to Satan, the better off we will be. It is good to start living in holiness, but remember that we will never be 100% perfect. The bottom line is we need to seek God with our whole hearts, but never put our trust in what we've done. Just say, Father, I'm still trusting your grace and mercy for my salvation, for my healing, for my finances, for everything. At some time, you'll prob you've probably heard someone preach. If you want the blessings of God, you've got to hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord your God. If you aren't blessed, you just aren't being diligent enough. Start spending another hour speaking in tongues every day. Study the word more. Do this and this and this. There's nothing wrong with studying the word or praying in tongues more. But if you're doing those things to put leverage on God to make him bless you, I promise you, you're going to come up empty. 
If your motivation is, God, look what I've done, now you've got to perform because I did this. You're going to come up totally dry because you missed the real purpose of God giving the law. Okay. You, you know, this is, this is a silly uh, example. Um, my, my family, the, the girls in the family do cookie exchange every year. And you, you come home and you have, you know, several different kinds of, of, of cookies. And you start craving cookies. And so my first thing is I put them in the freezer because I'll end up, um, I start just putting my hand in every bag and that's all I'll eat is cookies because uh, it tastes good. And so throughout my day, I'm thinking, oh, those cookies sure sound good. I'm hungry and thirsting and craving those cookies. Well, when you have a relationship with God and you are just, all you want is that relationship, you start waking up. I want to listen to this this message today. I want to I want to get in the Word today. You start craving God. You start craving the One who gave you life, and you just want more and more time with Him. And again, the the blessings automatically come. It's not I have to read the Word this long. I have to be in tongues this long, otherwise God won't speak to me. It it's not that. It's oh my gosh, I get to speak to God. I want to talk to God. I you know you just you just want and desire him more and more it's that part of the relationship that we're we're trying to come across it's not out of obedience when i fell in love with dave i wanted to be with him and he's still my favorite person in all the world and i want to be with him the most and when i go through like a day of not being home and, and i need to come come home i i'm not looking yeah i'm looking forward to getting into more comfortable clothes or having dinner or whatever but the thing I want most is to see and talk to my husband. And, and that's how it is with God. When the more and more time you spend with him, the more and more time you just you just you start waking up. Like I want to be with God. I just I, I, I have that hunger until that, that time with him um, comes. You know, we don't do some of these things. Uh, go to church, read the word, uh, even fast, uh, and other things. God, it's not God's not. It's not going to change God's opinion of you, but it will change your opinion of God. It will have an effect. I mean, you just stop hanging out with God over time, you'll draw back. You'll go. We 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 been with people, people we we love, people we adored, uh, have gone to Bible college, and then they stop going. They stop, uh, social, uh, stop fellowshipping. They, not just so much with us, but with anybody. Or, or I can't say. I don't know everything about them. But you just you, you see a change, you see a difference, and some of them went back to their old ways, uh, whether it be drugs or whatever the case may be. Sad commentaries, but the point is you got to stay plugged in, and so, and uh, you know it's about obedience, yes, and there is obedience, but we're not like we're not doing things to look, look at me, we're doing things because, like Sherry's saying and Andrew's saying we're doing things because we want to be with God. You know, I've always liked, well, there's been seasons where I didn't like going to church. Some of that was because I had a wrong perception of God. Some of that was because some of the churches we were going to just, to me, were a little religious in some in some regards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we all, we pretty much went to good churches. But there were some times where it just uh, wasn't appealing, the, the, the presentation of it. <coughs> and uh, But I've always wanted to go to church. 
you know, I, I had a I had a, a coworker ask me one time I, when I worked for In and Out, like, you mean you have to go to church every week? I go, no, I get to go to church every week. I want to go to church every week. You know, I, I just I love it. I love being with the family of God. I love being with like-minded people. I just love that atmosphere. I love that. I love being with them and uh, and doing different things. We don't always have to be doing something spiritual. I love teaching. I love worship. I love, you know, I mean, I, I love reading the Word of God on my own, but I love reading the Word of God with others. I love worshiping alone, but I love worshiping uh, the Lord corporately. I, you know, I just love it. I love the atmosphere. I, I like it when there's a lot of people, and I like it when there's just a few people. You know, I just love hanging out with the body of Christ. It's just, it's, it, 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 I mean, it's just one of my favorite things to do. You know, and, and uh, <coughs> we're not doing some of these things just to, but we're not, if, again, as Andrew said, if you're doing some of these things just to get God's approval, God loved you when you were a sinner. God loved you when you wanted nothing to do with God. God loved you when you were uh, like some, maybe something like Paul were against God in, in some regards. Of course, he thought he was doing well, but at the same point in time, God loved thought you were worth dying for when you wanted nothing to do with him. And so you think he loves you less now that you've had a bad day or you missed the mark? You know, we can't fool God. Sometimes we try to fool God, fool ourselves, fool others. You know, um, but if we're if that's all you're doing it for, if if my wife only came home and did things like she described just to please me, but she didn't if she didn't do it because she wanted to, it would show. You ever have someone do something for you just because they they felt com compelled to do it versus they wanted to do it? It just has a different flavor. It just you can tell. And you might, and once, and sometimes you might as well not have done it. It was almost worse that you did it with that attitude than if you had never done it at all. We had one person one time invite us to a, a, a amusement event, but then when we got there, didn't want anything to do with us. We would have rather just stayed home. We, we were looking forward to fellowshipping together with them in this event, but when we got there, they didn't want to even associate with us. Why? Why? Why invite us? We didn't, that didn't make any sense to us. You know, it was actually hurtful. Uh, uh, we would rather just have stayed home. It would have been hurtful not to, to cancel the trip, cancel the excursion, but it was more hurtful to, to be in an environment where that happened. You know, um, we, you know, we do things, and we do things for one another, not just because we should, not just because the other person wants to, be, but because we love one another and we want to do things. True, true, some of those things can be out of our comfort zone, you know, to do it for the other person, but we're willing to be un uncomfort uncomforted to do something for someone who would benefit from that. And, and God didn't have us do all these things, uh, uh, go to church, tithe even, just to, to make a bunch of rules, just to make a bunch of rules. If you understand <clears throat> these things, including tithing. If you really understood tithing, you can see the benefits. We've been tithing, and, and, and God's treated us well. And some people think they tithe because they have to. And all the all the times where they tithe, and even in the Old Testament, they didn't do it because they had to. They did it because they were supposed to. Yes, there's a Levitical tithe, and that was under the law. 
But I'm talking about Abraham, Jacob, that were not under the law. I'm talking about some ties that David and other people instituted. instituted. There was a tie for the t to build a tabernacle. That was not part of the law. That was a that was a free will offering. Uh, that, that, that was a free will offering that David did to build the, the, the Solomon's temple. Uh, the, the money that he designated to that. That was a free will offering. That was not part of the law. Um, there, there's some other things. When it, it says in, in Hebrews chapter 7, it talks about how we are under a new priesthood, not the Levitical priesthood. We are under the priesthood of, of, of Jesus, which is after Melchizedek. And so we, we're, we're tied into a totally different priesthood than the Levitical priesthood. That's a whole other teaching I'm not trying to get into. But, but if you understood it, you'll be blessed. And we're blessed. And because uh, Austin, our pastor from Colorado, says, I don't want anyone in this church tithing because they have to. I want you to tithe because this is it's because you want to. He says, if you, they're tithing out of compulsion, then don't give it. We don't want it. Tithe because you want to. Tithe because you know that this is seed. And when you sow seed, you're going to get a harvest. There's more I can expound on that. I'm not trying to teach on tithing. But we're blessed. And some of the things that God has called us to do, yes, out of obedience, is to bless us. We're talking about God's nature. But some of these things, that some, some of the, even some of our Christian ways, we've made it such a rule and a law that we've taken, Jesus said it this way, you, by your traditions you make the word of God of no effect. There's some traditions that we've made, and it, the only reason we're doing it is because it's tradition. We might call it something different, but I want the Word of God to have effect in my life. And I'm trusting God. I want a relationship with God. I want it to be rich. I want, I want to do things because I want to. There's no, there's no principle that God has instituted that is just meaningless. God has a purpose in it. And when I, I trust Him. I rely on Him. And there's a benefit to it. If I don't know what that benefit is, I can ask. I can find answers. I can find out why. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He can lead a pastor or someone who knows to teach us. But it's just awesome. You know, I, I don't even, instead of using the word obedience, sometimes I use, I hearken to his voice. I listen to his voice. You know, he's my Lord. He's my master. He's my father. I trust him to know what to do. Even a natural king a, a good king is going to be the leader of that nation. And you're going to trust him to lead the nation properly and whatnot. You know, we, uh, I've watched different movies. One would be Lord of the Rings. And there was times when they were in battle and the king would lead, the good, the, there were some bad kings, but uh, some good kings would lead the nation, the country, into safety. Uh, and Helm's Deep at that one time. And and how to defend themselves, and, and he led them because he was supposed to take care of his people and had to lead them. Some of the things meant they had to leave their homes to go to safety, but they had to trust. You know, they could have stayed back, but the king was doing things, even though it was inconvenient, <coughs> because he wanted them to be safe. And so there's some things that God wants us to do because he knows it's healthy for us, it's good for us. It's about trusting him, not Trusting ourselves. Trusting yourself is pride. Trusting him is humility. And God says he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So anyway, I just, uh, anything you want to share?
No, I I want to see and share what Andrew has to say in the next section because I think that'll help. Yeah. Okay. This next section is the correct New Testament perspective. The way New Testament saints should read Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2 is to say that the blessings of God are coming to pass in our lives since Jesus kept all of the commandments of God and hearkened diligently to them. According to Romans 8, 4, Jesus, who is perfect, gave himself as a sacrifice so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Because of Jesus... All of his righteousness has been committed to us so that the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us. According to 2 Corinthians 5.21, He hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We should declare that we are now the righteousness of God. Therefore, all these commandments are fulfilled and the blessings are coming upon us and overtaking us through what Jesus did. That's the New Testament that's the way New Testament believers are supposed to look at it. But when we read something like that, most of us will say, "Oh God, I've got to dig in. I've got to do more. I've got to keep more commandments. I've got to do better." No, that was not the purpose of those commandments. That's the reason God didn't communicate those commandments to make to mankind for at least 2000 years. He knew people would misunderstand. The New Testament attitude that God wants Christians to, to have. Okay, the new sorry, the new the true New Testament attitude that God wants Christians to have is that God is love and He does not want to impute our sins to us. Even though God wasn't judging our sin because of Jesus. Sin was still destroying us, and Satan was not only killing us, but also sending us to hell. So, God made an atonement for sin. He made Jesus the sacrificial lamb and put our sin on him, on his own body, on the cross, so that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. Jesus bore our sin so that, according to Hebrews 10, 1, 10, and 14, we are now made perfect and sanctified. We should not even have any more consciousness of our past sin. In your relationship with God, you shouldn't have to come before God and say, Oh God, I'm so unworthy. Oh God, I know you won't bless me. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, Hebrews 10, 19 and 20. You ought to come boldly to God by the new and living way that the Lord has consecrated for you through his flesh. You have boldness to enter right into the Holy of Holies because of the Lord Jesus Christ and to come to God just like Adam and Eve did before they sinned. You don't have to focus your attention on yourself and your failures, but just be so God conscious that even if you're naked, you wouldn't know the difference because your attention is totally on God. Did you know that privilege is yours and that's the way God sees it? That's the real nature of God and the way he looks at you. God sees you through what Jesus did and that is probably different from how you see yourself. You tend to look on the flesh and see your mistakes and failures, but God looks on your heart. God is spirit and those who worship him 
must worship him in spirit and in truth. John 4, 24. When you come before God, he sees your spirit. And in your spirit being, according to Ephesians 4, 24, you are righteous and truly holy. You are pure and you are as holy as you'll ever be. Your born-again spirit will never be made better than it is right now. Your spirit isn't stained with sin. If you sin, your spirit isn't stained by that sin. Your spirit is as holy and pure and righteous as it will be with God in heaven throughout all eternity. It's perfect. It's in the image of God and it's exactly as he is. 1 John 4.17 says, Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. That's the way God sees us. So that's the way we are. And when we come to God because we've sinned and need forgiveness, or we just want to spend time with him and worship him, we're standing before him in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. know that I mean it is is something that I I I wish I could make people get um, and my my prayer is that you do get this that how God sees us he only sees us through one lens and that's the lens of Jesus Christ he only sees us through the, the lens of love we're the ones hard on ourselves we're the ones who see our faults we're the ones who see that we don't measure up. We're the ones who, who's, who see and listen to what, what the enemy says about us or about other people who don't like us say about us or someone says in anger about us. But we are really, really supposed to only see us through God's lens of us, through what his word says about us. You know, there's there's Bible verses that say that the word of God is a mirror. And when you look in a mirror, you see the reflection of yourself. And when you look in this mirror, you are to see that you are the righteousness of, of God in Christ Jesus. You are the beloved of God. He, he, he sees you, uh, what's that verse in Song of Solomon? You are all fair, my beloved. And mm -hmm. you is no spot or wrinkle. Uh, there's a verse in Ephesians that says, by his word, he washes us, like uh, as his bride, he washes us uh, with his word so that we are like a bride in, in that pure white dress. We're without blemish, we're without spot. He sees us as holy and as righteous, as beloved um, you know, when you when you fall in love, you don't see the imperfections in the other person. You just see the 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 best that's in them. And you know, as you maybe go through life, you start seeing their pernickities or whatever. But God doesn't do that. He he put your sin as far as the east is from the west. He does not remember your sin anymore. And you know, the verse that that Andrew and Dave quoted from Revelation, how he made us kings and priests. The, king, the priests in the Old Testament, Andrew was sharing, that you couldn't be a priest if you had even a blemish on you. But if that was true, then how could God make us kings and priests in, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant? It's because of Jesus and what Jesus did. And Jesus made us holy and without spot or wrinkle or blemish. 
And that's how we're kings and priests. There, God doesn't see any of that in us. And, you know, uh, last, not this morning's message, but I believe it was last Sunday, Dave did this, this example of a red book and a blue book. And he talks about facts versus the truth, which is the word of God. So I'm, I'm not going to bring out the books and do that whole example, but you have... You might have facts, but it can't line, it has to line up to the word of God, which is truth. And so what you think about yourself or what someone else thinks about you, that, that's someone's opinion. You know, that's you seeing all your faults. But God's word, which is truth, God himself says, you are all fair, my beloved. So whose opinion are you supposed to go by? Yours or somebody else's? Or God who only speaks truth. You have to go by by God. Now Jesus changed everything. We're in a new covenant. The Bible calls it because he was wearing a better covenant. And we need to see ourselves the way God sees us. If we what does this have to do with the nature of God? If we a lot of times we judge God's nature by how we perceive God sees us. We talked about this in earlier chapters. Some of us have so, such an Old Testament perception of God. We see his wrath and his judgment on sin before Jesus came to take away our sin. And because that's our perception of, of God, and that's how we see God seeing us, we have, we have that perception of God. But Christ changed everything. And God and Jesus revealed the Father to us. You know, until Jesus came, man did not refer to God as a Father. In the Lord's Prayer, our, our Father, hallowed be thy name. That was a whole new concept. They only saw God as God, not as Father. God, you know, it says that Jesus is the express image of the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And Jesus... <clears throat> and his ministry began to manifest, began to demonstrate what the Father is like. And the cross changed everything. And, and Andrew quotes it, but my favorite verse is from 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus not only took our sin, he became it. And then what happened to Jesus? He was crucified. Jesus took our sin on himself, and he gave us his righteousness. When we stand before God one day, we're not going to be asked about this sin and that sin, this sin and that sin. We're going to be asked, what did you do with Jesus? Because in one sense of the word, we are stand, we'll stand before God as if we are Jesus, because uh he gave us his righteousness, and he took our sin. Jesus already stood before God in the sense that he took our sin and it was judged. And so, you know, um, there, there is a, a, a judgment day coming. But those who have received Jesus will go to heaven. And those who rejected Jesus will not. 
you know, eternal life is, again, we said this, I think, last week, but John 17.3 says that it's about a relationship with God. It's about knowing Him. And we need to have, you know, we, that the title of this section was, we need to have a, a New Testament perspective. We need to see Christ. We need to see God through a New Testament lens. And some of that mean the, the Old Testament's not bad, but we are in a better covenant. The Old Covenant pointed our sin. It, 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 Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians 3, he calls it, the Old Testament is a ministry of death. It's a ministry of condemnation. But the New Testament is a ministry of righteousness, the ministry of his spirit. He makes that comparison in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I have a lot of teachings on that. You know, the, why, did, why is it the ministry of death and condemnation? Because it was condemning death. But th there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And about, he, goes on, he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 3 that the Old Testament is like a veil that's blinding our eyes. When we see God, when we see life through an Old Testament lens, it's like a veil. And there's only one way to remove that veil. <clears throat> it says in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 14 to 16, that the only one way to remove this veil, and that's to preach Christ. You know, growing up, and I, I, I don't know if it was based on how I was taught or just my perception of what I was taught. I mean, you know, some, teachers can try to teach you something, and you come away with a totally different perception of what they taught. It's not always the teacher's fault. Sometimes it can be. Uh, maybe that is what they try to teach. But sometimes you just came away with a totally different perception of what they taught. And, but I just, I just had this perception of God that he's so far away, he's so distant. He didn't, he's mad at me type of thing. You know, I just never had a close relationship with him. I wanted one, but I didn't think I was worthy enough. And I got into some addictions. I got into some bad behaviors and whatnot. But it wasn't until I understood righteousness. You know... There was a time, I don't remember the exact date, but it was around 2009-ish. And I remember I was reading a couple different scriptures. I don't have time to go into all those right now, but the Lord said, when you, he told me, Dave, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? Sherry was talking about the mirror of God's word. He, but he, he, he said, when you look in the mirror, who, what do you see? And I was just straight with him. I said, well, when I look in the mirror... I see me. I don't know about you. last time you looked in the mirror. I mean, if you saw someone else when you looked in the mirror, a natural mirror, you know, uh, that, that's interesting. Uh, because I, look, I see me. A mirror is not a window where you look through. A mirror is a reflective device. And it reflects whatever is facing that uh, device. But I knew I had answered the question incorrect when God had asked me the question again. Dave... When you look in the mirror, who do you see? And this went back and forth a few times because I just kept saying Dave. I didn't have a revelation of what he was trying to get me at. Get at. Actually, I will go to the one verse. 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's in the same context I was just talking about. And this actually began give me on a path that I believe revolutionized my life. It wasn't the total answer. But I, uh, at, at that time in my life, but it got me on this path. It got me questioning some things in a good way. 
Um, <clears throat> you know, sometimes we can get so set in our ways, even so set in our theology, that we sometimes need God to change our theology. And uh, uh, anyway, I can talk a lot about that, but I'll, I'll leave it with that. But it says this, and I can teach this for hours, but it says, We all with the unveiled face, beholding, verse 18, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, but we all with the unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed <coughs> into the same image from glory to glory, as just as by the Spirit of the Lord. There's a lot in this verse. That uh, what's an unveiled face? Well, first, first of all, to answer what an unveiled face, we have to know what a veiled face, and I just talked about that because it talks about it in verses fourteen. Uh, uh, 15 and 16, but the veil is the Old Testament. It's a, it blinds our minds. It's a deception. And so, but, uh, but it talks about in verse 14 to 16 how to remove this veil, and that's to preach Christ. And we said, but with an unveiled face, if you remove a veil, a blinder off your face, then you're going to have a new perception. Okay, just naturally speaking, if I had a blindfold or a veiled, or a veiled image, a veiled device over my eyes, and I took it off, I can see clearly. If that makes sense. And then uh, it says, "But with an unveiled face, we are beholding." The word "behold" means to see with the mind. And we, but we are with an un unveiled face, beholding, as in a mirror. The glory of the Lord. I can go into this real deep, but I, I want to leave it with this. When, especially this part, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord. God was asking me a question. Dave, when, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? And I was reading this verse when he was asking me that. Beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord. When we look in the mirror of God's word that Sherry was talking about, we shouldn't see us. We should see Christ. God says, if you are the righteousness of God in, in me, God was talking to me. When you look in the mirror, you need to see the glory of the Lord. You need to see me. Paul said this way, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. He says, and when you behold his glory in the mirror, you will be transformed to that same image from glory to glory. That word transform is the word, is the word metamorpho in the Greek, and it's where we get the word metamorphosis, a caterpillar to a butterfly, a tadpole to a frog. And when we seek his glory in the mirror of God's word, not our glory, we'll be transformed into the same image. In other words, God was teaching me, when you start seeing me, with a New Testament perspective, when you start seeing me in your life, when you start seeing I'm crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, you start seeing my glory as in the mirror. Your life will be transformed. And it was. I began to see God differently. I began to see me differently. I began to see others differently, whether they were my friends or my enemies. I began to see them differently. I even began to see the devil in a different perspective. I, my whole life revolutionized. And because I began to see who I was in Christ. 
And when I began to see who I was in Christ, like I said, I saw God differently. And when I read the New Testament, the Old Testament, I saw Christ in the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament is a foreshadow. It's a shadow. You know, my shadow, if the, the light was shining right, my shadow was on the wall, it's going to resemble my image, but it's going to be a shadow, not the real image. A shadow, you can't see the image clearly. It's a shadow. It's dark. It's not a clear image. This, the, the Old Testament is a foreshadow, meaning it's before, not after. If you really, and Jesus said this way in John chapter 8, that they, <coughs> the scriptures, meaning the Old Testament, because when, you know, whenever Paul and Jesus used the word scripture, the New Testament didn't exist yet. You and I agree that the scriptures include the New Testament. But when Jesus and Paul penned those words, then the New Testament didn't exist yet. So the scriptures are usually specifically talking about the Old Testament in those contexts. But they, the scriptures, testify of him. I couldn't see Christ in the Old Testament until I saw Christ in the... I think I said it right. I couldn't see Christ in the Old Testament until I saw Christ in the New Testament. And when I saw that, I saw Christ everywhere. And I, I love reading Leviticus now. I love reading so many things. Because I see Jesus in all the sacrifices. I see Jesus in all the uh, the festivals and, and all the ordinances. It, it's painting Christ to me. And it's beautiful. It's like an illustrated allegory of who Christ is in such an uh, awesome manner. And this perfection that keeps coming up. You know, I'm perfected in Christ, not in myself. There's not... The only thing that can make anything, even the law, it says in Hebrews 9, was sprinkled by the blood. The only, there's only one thing that can make anything holy, and that's the blood of Jesus. And so, uh, you know, the, this lamb. I used to do a message, I did a message last year on the, on the, on the lamb in Christmas time. And all the, how all the scriptures point to this lamb uh, that, that represents Jesus. And it's just an awesome picture how, how Jesus, I mean, the, the, the manger and everything else, it was really uh, how, how Jesus was born in Bethlehem to his shepherds. And these were not just any shepherds. These were actually priestly shepherds who were actually on a regular basis going through all the lambs and to find a sacrificial lamb for the atonement. They had a, a bedding process, to put it in simple terms. Uh, and Jesus was born in that same that same field, and that same, uh, it's called uh, Miguel Edgar, was the same place where um, the, 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 the priestly lambs were born. And he was born into this trough that was actually a manger where they would put the, the new lambs in to inspect it. And that's where Jesus was born. The Lamb of God was born in a manger. And, it, and it actually, when you read it out of the book of Luke, it says that he was born in the manger. The word the was a definite article. It wasn't just any manger. It was a very specific manger that he was born in. And when you study all these things, including the star, including all these things, Bethlehem, all these different things, uh, I mean, it's the same. I was actually the same same uh, location, the threshing floor where Boaz had had bought it years ago, back in the story of Ruth. I mean, it just it's just beautiful how all these things come together. Uh, the book of Micah talks a lot about this and different things. 
where there's no useless detail. And all of those things point to Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, Emmanuel, who's born unto us. And God's not mad at us. Why? Because he poured out all of his wrath on Jesus. The only one who will go to hell is those who rejected Jesus, their Savior, their, their propitiation, their substitute. And so God wants to bless us, not curse us. And if we receive Christ, we're not cursed. You know, sickness is part of the curse. God didn't create sickness. Sickness came as part of the fall. But Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so sickness is, any sickness is an intruder. Even this little cough I get because of, of talking, it, it, it needs to go in the name of Jesus. My hearing and deficiency needs to go in the name of Jesus. Now, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of law. We are blessed. And we need to start seeing God from a New Testament perspective, not an Old Testament one. Uh, and so, anything you want to add? Yes, just to, to piggyback on what Dave's been saying about the lamb, and I, I know we're, we're out of time. But, you know, Andrew brought out uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him, so God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And you know how, how Dave was talking about how until he saw Jesus in the New Testament, he struggled with understanding the old. And now we both see Jesus through all of scripture. And I appreciate how Dave's brought this out in the past. Hopefully you can see this in the camera. This is a little lamb. But in, in, in Leviticus... Um, the the priest when they when when the when the people brought the lambs for sacrifice, and they inspected the lamb. If you study it out in Leviticus, and you see, uh, say the burnt offering or the sin offering, you know that when the priest put their hands on the lamb and all the all the sin from the man was transferred to the lamb, and the unblemishedness of the lamb was transferred to the man and the man was able to, to, to go his way and it's the same thing that Jesus our perfect lamb did he became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God he transferred our sin onto him and his perfect sinless uh, holy self was transferred his righteousness was transferred to us and the the lamb was was crucified for us so that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus but in the old testament the man the the priest never examined the man he only would examine the lamb and so when when we look at how God sees us God's not examining us for our sin, for our blemishes, for our unholiness. He is only seeing and inspecting that we are righteous and, and holy in Christ Jesus. So, and that gives me hope. And we're also not examining our self-righteousness. The Bible calls self-righteousness like filthy rags. That's what it calls it. And so, uh, you know, there's... 
There's no good in this flesh. If there's any good in us, it's because of Christ. But that's who we are in Christ Jesus. There's over 300 scriptures in the New Testament talking about who we are in Christ. We are in a new covenant, a better covenant. And when we take communion, communion, we're being reminded of the blood of his covenant. We're being reminded his body that was broken for us. And we need the reminder. We need the constant reminder. And it's not just an ordinance that we do out of obedience. It, it, yes, it is an ordinance, and yes, it's obedience, like we were talking about earlier. But we need the reminder. We just need the reminder. We get so caught up in this world and other things, we just need a reminder. You know, before they went to war, they had to do a burnt offering, which spoke of their righteousness. They actually had to do a burnt offering the first thing every morning and the last thing every evening. God, the, the bookends of their day, he wanted them to be reminded that they were the righteousness of God. Before they went to war, they didn't know that they were his kids and that they were his people. And be reminded of righteousness. God wants us to get, have that constant reminder. And if you need to have communion three times a day, like some of you take medicine three times a day, so be it. Don't do it religiously. Uh, look, look, look at what I'm doing. But sometimes we just need a reminder. You know, sometimes uh, my dad used to put scriptures on his forklift of words so he could study all day. Some people put it in their mirror. Some people put it in their car. Some people post it all over the house. We started to make, Sherry made some frames in here. We, uh, the last house, we didn't have a lot of walls. We have a lot of walls in this room, this house. And we, you know, we're going to start be making more pictures with some of our favorite scriptures just as a reminder. We, we went through some trials this last, uh, last few years over some people betraying us and hurting us. And so we made this sign, Mercy Reigns in this house. Because while we were being hurt and being uh, taken advantage of by some people, we did not want to be bitter. And we, we just needed the reminder, Mercy is going to reign in this house. And it just we just need the reminders. You know, we're like sheep. Sheep are not very smart. And so we just need the reminders. And so it's awesome. And even in that scripture, when Paul talks about it, he says, let, let one examine himself. Sherry just talked about examining. But if we're examining ourselves in the light of, in light of communion, in the light that he was bro broken for us, in the light of his new covenant, and we st if, we, if we know that Jesus died for our sins, and we examine ourselves, and we still see sin, then in one sense we're saying Jesus did nothing. And that's not true. If we examine ourselves in the light of communion that are remembering his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us, we shouldn't see any sin. Why? Because Jesus crucified it. We should be saying, our examination of ourselves should be with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on to say that's why people are, many people are sick and they're dying prematurely. Because they are not examining themselves properly. They have an Old Testament mentality that sees sin when God has declared them righteous. Something else? Uh, just a, a side note on that. In, in all of these verses, God never said one person. He always used words like we. Like we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So it's not just me or I or Dave that's righteous. 
it is all of us in the body of Christ. And so we are not just to see ourselves as righteous, but we're also see to see each other as this righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I know we're over. Yeah. Well, we just thank you for uh, this word, Lord, and we just bless I bless everyone who's hearing this, wherever they are, might be in the world. Lord, we just thank you for the cross. <coughs> I pray that we would all have a healthy New Testament perspective of who you are and who we are in you. Bless us as we go. We pray for our country. Pray for our nation. And we bless it in the name of Jesus. God, we trust. God bless America. We thank you. We worship you. We magnify you in the name of Jesus. Have a good week. We'll see you on Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Uh, we talk about the new you and the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Bye-bye.